In 2018, a Canadian woman was declared dead by her physician, who noted that her brain had stopped functioning, but her body was still moving and her heart was still beating. Her family insisted that she was still alive. Was she? Welcome to Trinity University's Learning Together podcast series. I'm Nathan Cohn, class of 1995. This series features faculty, alumni, and other distinguished guests who have established themselves as experts in their fields. And it's part of the university's lifelong learning initiative designed especially for alumni. Today, we're going to hear a conversation featuring Dr. Steve Looper, philosophy professor at Trinity University, and Daniel Conrad, class of 18, a philosophy major, on what is death and when does it occur? You'll hear about that case of the Canadian woman I referenced a moment ago and other puzzling scenarios. It's a mind-boggling conversation from a philosophical perspective. Good afternoon, Dr. Steve Looper. Hi, how are you doing, Daniel? I'm doing quite well. It's a great day today. It is. A great day to talk about an interesting topic. It is. And uh, although death is not a cheerful topic, there's some fascinating things that we can say about it. That's absolutely right. I will let you lead us in. All right. What I want to talk about is why in certain kinds of cases, such as when someone enters a persistent vegetative state or severe dementia even, or even when the brain stops functioning, it can be really puzzling whether death has occurred. In what sorts of cases is that ever not obvious? I feel like most of us have a pretty good understanding of when death happens. The case of Takesha McKitty is a pretty good illustration. Uh, she was put on a ventilator after uh, her heart stopped for, for a while, and that damaged her brain. And so after some tests, um, and uh, physicians determined that her brain had died. And yet her family thought she was still alive. And the physicians declared her dead. Her family disagreed. Uh, um, partly this was because she was still moving and because her heart was still beating. Mm. Um, so that's, that's a pretty good illustration of how it's just not clear. On the one hand, brain death. On the other hand some bodily functions and behaviors continuing to go on. That's right. Now, where can we begin defining when death happens, what death is? All right. I would say that we can define death this way. Roughly, dying is ceasing to be alive, and something is now dead, if and only if it's died before now. Uh, that is to define death in terms of being alive. Mm -hmm. And there's a lot more to be said about that, um, but I'm going to just be content with saying that being alive consists roughly in having the capacity to engage in certain processes whereby organisms develop or maintain themselves. I'm thinking of processes like photosynthesis, respiration. Notice that I'm including here animals and plants in the things that right. are alive. Right. Which seems pretty uncontroversial. You know, humans, animals, That's plants, right. all forms of life. That's right. But what we certainly want our definition of being alive and our, and our definition of death to include all of the things mm -hmm. that are both. Um, I'm going to call this the loss of life account of death. Loss of life. Just for ease of reference. Yeah. Now I'm going to ask you to notice that there's something that very very interesting that follows from this definition. Namely, 
that I die if I cease to exist. Yeah, if you're not alive, you are dead. If I cease to exist, um, I just can't have any properties at all. So clearly, I can't have the property of being alive. Mm -hmm. So clearly, if I cease to exist, I lose the property of being alive, which is the definition of dying. Whatever makes you what you are is no longer the case. That's correct. That's correct. Um, So whether I cease to exist, um, that depends on what at bottom I am, like you're saying. Mm -hmm. Um, So we're going to have to say something about that. Um, I would say it's pretty obvious that to cease to exist is to cease to have the features that are fundamental to what I am. And we're going to need to have some kind of explanation of what that fundamental property is. I'm going to say a little bit more, though, about um, what I'm looking for when I ask what I am at bottom. Mm. And I'm going to try to clarify it by asking a similar question about um, a much less complicated object, namely a particular tool in my toolbox. Sounds like a good starting place. So if if you ask me, at least about the item that I'm thinking of, if you ask me what it is, I could give you this short answer. I could say, well, it's a knife. And to be a knife is roughly to be so configured as to be capable of cutting things. But there's more to be said. Arguably, the property of being a knife is an especially intimate feature of my tool. If I put it into a furnace and I melt it, this would leave behind a blob of metal, and the knife would be gone. No more knife. We might say that being a knife is essential to my tool, in that we, it couldn't possibly exist if it stopped being a knife. Yeah, it wouldn't be that tool. If that's true, it also seems plausible to say that my tool will remain in existence if it continues to be the same knife. A fuller story would involve clarifying what suffices for its persistence as the same knife over time, but I won't go there. Mm -hmm. I'll just assume that we can tell well enough whether the same knife persists over time. Uh, Roughly, it's the same knife when it carves a smooth path through space and time. But what's the relationship, I guess, between making a knife, what, what makes a knife, what it is over time and when it stops being what it is and in this question about what we are. Okay. Um, I'm going to try to um, make that comparison. I'm going to now switch over to the question of what we are. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I'm going to try to do something which I just did with the knife, yeah. only in our case. Okay. Uh, and if we can do that, if we can identify the features that make us what we are, then we can conclude that we'll cease to exist, we'll die, if we stop having that feature. Okay, so there are three main views about what you and I are. The first of them is animalism. Animalism says, I'm essentially a human animal, and I persist as an animal. That's to say that I'm a member of Homo sapiens. You're a human. It's, it's the critter that the biologists... Study. Uh, study. Right. That's right. Yeah. So if animalism is true, then I'm identical to a particular human animal. 
namely the one that's speaking right now. I'm going to give him a name just for ease of reference. I'm going to call him Ishmael. Hmm. So Ishmael is the individual animal who's speaking to you now. You wouldn't call him Dr. Steve Looper? Well, I'm try- I'm actually trying to leave open the question of who I really am okay. and look at different views about what I am. And if I were to equate myself with this human animal, then I would indeed be identical to Ishmael. Let's see where this goes, Ishmael. All right. <laughs> There's another view to consider, and that one I'm going to call personism. I'm, according to this view, essentially a person, and I persist as a person. A person is a subject capable of self-awareness. And I'll say a little bit more about self-awareness in a little while. Okay. Let me just mention this last view, and then we can talk about uh, all three a bit. All right. Um, So the third view is mindism. According to this view, I'm essentially a mind, and I persist as a mind. A mind is a subject capable of consciousness. Now I think we need to say a little bit more to make these views clearer. Unravel these views, because we've got I am an animal. I am a person, and I am a mind. That's right. Now let's untangle that. Okay. I think perhaps one of the first things to do is clarify the difference between being conscious and being self-aware. It's not so obvious. It isn't. I think a lot of people might think of those as synonyms even. Yes, I think that you're probably right. But let's consider a couple of examples. Like, for example, uh, my dog. Mm-hmm. I'm gonna, my dog is Mara. I'm going to give her her name. All right. right. So Mara. I think she's a conscious uh, uh, subject. I haven't met Mara, but I believe you when you say that. Pretty much any dog, you'd probably say it's conscious. Yeah. Yeah. They know what's going on. Yeah. Experiencing the world. There you go. Cats. Bats. Mm -hmm. Lots of things. Lots of animals are conscious. Plants, by contrast, are not. Hmm. Now... I have a feature that my dog does not have, self-awareness. Okay. That's a little harder to, um, well, of course, I haven't really tried to define consciousness either. I just gave you an example, didn't I? Okay. But um, let's, let's say a little bit more about self-consciousness and then work over to consciousness. Okay. So self-awareness, one way to try to clarify What's involved in self-awareness is to use a test developed by a psychologist, namely Gordon Gallup. Gordon Gallup. He developed a test he called the mirror test. Mm -hmm. And what this involves is, in the case of, um, say, a human infant, you put a mark on their forehead, like a red dot while they're not paying attention, while they don't notice. And then you put the infant in front of a mirror. Um, When a a human infant is roughly age two, they'll do something like when they look in the mirror, they'll try to figure out what that dot is on their forehead. They'll reach up to it and try to touch it. Yeah. Um, If you do that very same test to an infant at something like age one, they won't have, they'll be completely oblivious to the, is what's happening there, they're recognizing the thing they're seeing as themselves. That appears to be the case. Okay. And they're trying to figure out why there's this mark on themselves as opposed to just a mark in their environment. Yeah, or a mark on some other you know, child, some That's, other baby. There you go. 
It turns out, by the way, that this test is passed by various kinds of animals as well as human beings. Okay. So some non-humans. That's right. Some dolphins pass it. Um, Elephants have sometimes passed it. Chimps. Mm Mm-hmm. So it's not unique. It's not unique to human animals. Okay, so and that's self awareness, and that's what is involved in self awareness. That's one one way of testing it. Okay. Um, another way to describe what's involved in self awareness, if you remember the seventeenth century philosopher John Locke, I've heard the name. Uh huh. He would try to clarify it in terms of reflective awareness. Mm-hmm. This would be the feature that some creatures have, like you and me, whereby we can do the following. You can hear what the things I'm saying to you now. You can, you're aware that I'm speaking to you now. That's right. But you're also aware simultaneously that you're aware that you're aware. Okay, so like a second-order awareness. There you go. Not only am I experiencing the thing, I experience myself as experiencing you talking to me. That's so. right. You pick yourself out. You're aware that you're actually listening to me. And, of course, you could be aware that you're aware that you're aware. Yeah, okay. We can go to the uh, nth order of awareness, maybe. That's right. It's really not clear how high up it goes. <laughs> it may depend on how sophisticated. Give me some time, yeah. We'll see. <laughs> Hello, this is Danny Anderson, President of Trinity University. Thank you for listening to the Learning Together podcast series, brought to you by Trinity's Office of Alumni Relations and Development, and produced here on campus by our friends at KRTU 91.7 FM. We're so glad you tuned in today, and we appreciate your continued support of lifelong learning at Trinity University. Welcome back to the Learning Together podcast from Trinity University. I'm Nathan Cohn. Let's return to the conversation with Professor Steve Looper and Daniel Conrad. And I, I guess another, a third way to try, try to make sense of self-awareness, you could do it in terms of a subject's ability to tell a, a self-narrative. If you can tell a story, which includes all of the various stages of your life uh, over time, and bring them into a single perspective. That's another way of exemplifying the capacity of self-awareness. I see. It seems common to all of these threads is, again, kind of apprehending oneself as oneself. There you go. Having thoughts about yourself. Right. And although my dog is conscious, it seems highly unlikely that it can do that. Mm. Consciousness would be something like the feature that a creature has by virtue of which it has an, a perspective on the world. It's, there's some, to use Nagel's famous example, there's a way it's like to be a bat. There's not a way it's like to be, say, a pen or a table. I see. So, and that's Thomas Nagel? Thomas Nagel. Yeah. So there's a sense in which um, it's almost like that first order of experiencing, you know, Dr. Yeah. Looper talking to me. And then it's the second order that perhaps bats can't do, which is um, not just Dr. Looper is talking to me, but I know that Dr. Looper is talking to me. Or I'm now noticing Dr. Looper talking to me. That's uh, right. Yeah. Thoughts about oneself. I'm, not sorry, just I'm about now noticing myself noticing. That's, that's what I should have said. Okay. Yes. Um, yes, I, I like the way you put that. I think my dog... 
is entirely aware of me talking to it, saying things to it, but is not able to capture itself being aware of that. Mm, it's stuck on that first order level of consciousness. There you go. I see. Now let me make a quick remark about the relationship between animalism and personism. Yeah, back to the topic at hand. Right. Note that according to personism, I, Steve Looper, am not identical to Ishmael the animal. Personists will, of course, acknowledge the existence of Ishmael, but he's one object and I'm another. Animals like Ishmael aren't always capable of self-awareness. It isn't essential to them. But if personism is true, then self-awareness is essential to me. And I must always be capable of self-awareness if it's essential to me. So to clarify that a little bit, on the animalist view, before me is a human critter. And we need not say anything about a person or a mind, about self-consciousness, about uh, self-awareness or consciousness. Yes, or to elaborate on that a little bit, you could say that consciousness and self-awareness are possible features of the animal. They're features that an animal can acquire and lose without going out of existence. Mm. Presumably there was a time that Ishmael wasn't self-aware. Right. Particularly if this test that I was telling you about is yeah. correct. At age one. At age one and before there Ishmael was and yet was not at all self-aware. Mm. So it's obviously a, a contingent property as opposed to an essential property of the animal. I see. And if one day Dr. Steve Looper, the animal, well, I'm sorry. If Dr. Steve Looper, let's say the um, being capable of self-awareness or of consciousness um, were to exit this world, but the body before me, Ishmael, were to persist on the animalist view, on the animalist view, um, there wouldn't have been a death. That's correct. On the animal, or at least I would not have. I, we have to be a little cautious there. All it's going to imply, as we've defined it, is that I have not died because I am the animal, Ishmael, I and see. Ishmael has not died. I see. Whatever else might have changed about something that had or, you know, a feature of the animal, perhaps it's self-awareness or it's consciousness, um, didn't affect whether or not this animal before me is here, exists. Yes, yes the animal, uh, the animal is, we could say, more robust in these kinds of ways. Mm. Let's Resilient. Look. Resilient. Yes. Yeah. It's um, um, entirely possible for there even to be animals that never are self-aware. Of course, that's not true of Ishmael, mm -hmm. but uh, it could be true of other animals. I see. Let's, you know, just to bring this back then to our topic, um, we've got these three views, um, and I'm thinking that they're pretty attractive to most people. I think most people would find each of them pretty plausible. Um, they would have trouble distinguishing whether the one is true or the other is true. And they also have strikingly different implications as far as death is concerned. And so this is where I'm going with this talk. I'm, my suggestion is that 
one of the reasons or a, a, a very powerful reason why it's puzzling whether death has occurred is that people haven't really decided which of these views is correct and their implications are quite different. Yeah. So let's hear a little bit about what different conclusions we might get depending on whether you're an animalist or a personist or a mindist. All right. Let's start with it, with uh, animalism and talk about the implications of dementia. Okay. Um, since animalism um, identifies me with a particular human animal, Ishmael, it's going to say that I could survive the ravages of dementia. I could have a significant decline in, in my mental capacities, mm-hmm. the sort of thing that happens in severe dementia. And since the animal is still in existence, so am I, and therefore I would not have died. So it wouldn't matter for Steve Looper before me to have suffered dementia. Um, the animal is still here and has not died. That's right. And on the animalist view, Steve Looper is Ishmael. Ishmael the animal. So Steve Looper would not have died. Perhaps Ishmael lost that contingent property of, let's That's- say, conscious. Well, perhaps not consciousness, but at least self-awareness. But the, nevertheless... Ishmael exists, persists. That's correct. Um, You're actually uh, right to be puzzled over the case of whether uh, someone in a severe dementia has consciousness. That's that's pretty controversial. They easily get stripped of their self-awareness after a really severe case of the disease. Yeah. And it's... it may be that consciousness remains to the bitter end. It's just not clear. Yeah, it seems like um, there's probably more conditions for what counts as consciousness or when it persists or something like that um, to be considered. But, of course, that's a whole other topic. There you go. Let's look at personism next. Um, it has some pretty strikingly different implications. Um, it's going to say that I'll die if severe dementia d- destroys my capacity for self-awareness. So I'm going to be dead even if it if Ishmael is still alive and still conscious. Hmm. Mindism has a similar kind of implication. It's also going to say that I die if I lose my capacity, my mental capacity, in this case, consciousness. And it's also going to imply then that... Um, Ishmael can survive even though I, Steve Looper, the mind, have gone out of existence and have died. Wow. That's interesting. It might be worth mentioning, too, that as far as the mindists are concerned, um, I, Steve Looper, could survive the loss of self-awareness because I would still have a mind even though I'm no longer self-aware. And what it is to have a mind is to have that capacity for consciousness. That's correct. So we could even think of sci-fi scenarios in which, on the mindest view, um, the animal develops a mind, a consciousness, loses the capacity for consciousness, say through dementia, and perhaps even regains it. But it wouldn't be the same person 
that second time, once consciousness is regained, the consciousness was lost and the person was the consciousness. So whatever there is now in that body, Ishmael, is distinct. Would that be right? I think that that's roughly correct. Um, the uh, animalist is going to say that Steve Looper survives through that whole process. Mm-hmm. Um, a mindist is going to say that at a certain point, Steve Looper comes into existence. This is a certain point in the life of Ishmael. Steve Looper comes into existence because his mind comes into existence. Right. Then on your story, the mind goes out of existence. It dies. It dies, and so so does Steve Looper. Yeah. And indeed, it could. You could even imagine Ishmael continuing to live uh-huh. and developing consciousness again. That's right. entirely possible. All right. And it would be some other person, not We'd, Steve Looper. Well, that's a. I'd, I'd say that that's a separate question we'd have to discuss further. Mm, but it's a possibility, maybe. Whether it's the same individual mind or not. Yeah. But I'm inclined to think that it would be a different mind. Yeah, I'm with you on that. One last thing. Um, we mentioned persistent vegetation, and we mentioned brain death. We can wrap things up by bringing home the implications for these conditions, too. Okay. Uh, given personism or mindism, I'd be dead if I slipped into a pervis- persistent vegetative state like Terry Schiavo did. She had brain damage that was sufficient to kill her higher brain. She was left with just her um, brainstem intact. And in a condition like that, all personality is lost. Mm-hmm. Um, all ability to be conscious is lost. But it's consistent with the heart continuing to beat. Um, it's consistent with lungs continuing to function. She languishes in bed. Um, she goes through a, a sleep-wake cycle. Um, she appears to smile, move. You can see why uh, somebody might say, well, Terry Schiavo hasn't died at that point. Yeah, and but, in particular for the animalist to say this human being continues to function without reference to any mental capacities, uh, to consciousness or to self-awareness, those are beside the point. Terry Schiavo is alive. That's right. For the animalist, it's a very clear case. Yes. But for somebody who's inclined to think that to be what we are is to be a self-aware being, so for somebody who thinks that being self-aware is essential to what we are, Mm -hmm. you can't say that Terry Schiavo is still alive. She would have gone out of existence, and as we said before, you go out of existence, you don't have any properties. You lose all of your properties, including being alive. So t- we have to say Terry Schiavo had died at that point. I see. But it's still consistent with the personists acknowledging the existence of an animal lying there. But to the personist, that's not what matters because Terry Schiavo isn't the human being. It, Terry Schiavo is the person. That is correct. The being with a capacity again, for self-awareness, right? That's correct. And that's the personist view Mm -hmm. on the Shivo case. That's right. Now, what about the mindist? On the mindist view, um, you'd end up saying something similar about uh, the Terry Shivo case because um, the condition of having your higher brain destroyed 
leaving only your brainstem is inconsistent with consciousness. There are certain parts of the brain that you need for consciousness. One of them is the cerebrum. Another one is the thalamus. Another one is the brainstem. Um, you lose any of those, you lose consciousness. And so on the mindist view, you go out of existence. If in, if any of those parts of the brain are destroyed, because being a mind is essential to you on the mindist view, you also die when that happens because you cease to exist, and if you cease to exist, you die. I see. So the personist and the mindist are going to agree in the conclusion Terry Schiavo has died. Correct. But they're going to agree for very different reasons. For very different reasons. That's correct. Right. So it seems like we have get some pretty distinct conclusions, or at least ways of thinking about life and death, depending on what we think that we are. And at, at in the end, at least on this kind of philosophical analysis, that's kind of what death depends on. When does it occur? Well, let's talk about what we are. It's an entirely different, I guess, discussion to have when trying to decide. Should I be an animalist, a personist, or a mindist? It would take us a lot of time to settle that. Dr. Looper, I very much appreciate you taking your time out to have this conversation with me. Well, thanks, Daniel. It's been fun. Yeah, I would agree. Thanks for listening to the Learning Together podcast. I'm Nathan Cohn. Today's episode was recorded and produced by Trinity University's KRTU radio station for the Office of Alumni Relations and Development. New podcasts will be released on the last Friday of each month. For more information about our Learning Together podcast series or to suggest a topic for a future episode, please email us at alumnipodcast at trinity.edu.